I very clearly remember my dad taking a razor and throwing it at me and telling me that the world would be better off without me. So coming from from that, not feeling worthy, not feeling you know deserving of things, to now be with this person that loved me and and honored me and like we were creating this, I no like it was it was you're not going to do this to me yeah. and my life and my family sure. like you're sure. you're not going to sure. do it. Thank you for listening to the Collective Church podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church YSM. We hope you enjoyed these stories. Thank you for listening to the Your Story Matters podcast, a podcast where people from Collective sit down and share uh, vulnerably about their life and their stories, um, about the highs and the lows and what faith has been like or not been like through those seasons. And today I've got Travis and Nicole with me. I'm very thankful for their willingness to share this story. Um, Very thankful for uh, their time and uh, what they're going to share because it's, it's a tough story to tell. And honestly, it's one that still feels a little fresh as they grow and as they heal, it's still a story that they're growing and healing in. And so I'm very thankful for you guys to do this today. And so we're going to start with the easiest question of all podcasts that I've always thought we should probably start with like a more fun question on the podcast, but uh, we don't have time for that. So we're going to jump in. Nicole, tell us about your childhood. Where did you grow up? Um, what was your family like? And then what was faith like? You know, whether that was active, not active, none at all, some um, take us through kind of the beginning years. So I grew up in New Jersey with mom, dad, and a brother. Typical kind of childhood, like single family home. Um, we had a couple of animals, like nothing terribly out of the ordinary. Um, faith was never a part of our life though. Uh, The only time that we would ever really step foot into church was for like a wedding or a funeral. Um, I remember one time I had stayed at a friend's house and I went to church with her, but that was really it. Wow. So um, I very specifically remember in elementary school, and I can't tell you which grade, but I very specifically remember hearing, I want to say one of the teachers talk with some of the students and it was it was a story out of the bible and i had no idea yeah like i had no idea of what they were talking about and that made me feel kind of a little left out and a little excluded and and that was it like i i had i mean i had always felt like a little bit of an outsider so you know through elementary middle high school there was nothing extraordinary in high school um I was trying to kind of find my way. Um, my mom was working 
as a nurse. Um, my dad had become injured on the job, so he was home and disabled, although still physically capable of doing sure. things, he wasn't able to work. And, and he became a very bitter and angry guy. And it was real challenging because, you know, he would, he would physically abuse me. He would, um, verbally abuse me, uh, say some of the, the most disgusting and derogatory things. And, and God love my mom. They're still married. Not yeah. sure, not sure how or why, but she would say, you know, I'm so sorry, your dad, you know, he loves you, but he had this terrible childhood. And, and I would always just have to forgive and sure. say, it's okay. I accept this terrible thing about him because I know he doesn't, he doesn't mean it. So, you know, as he's home and, um, kind of just miserable. In high school, I'm barely really getting by academically. I um, started smoking weed, um, wasn't making super great life choices, but yeah, just getting through school, um, trying to get through work, just trying to kind of drudge on by. Then I did eventually end up graduating high school. Um, and at that point, on a few different occasions, I ended up making attempts to end my life because I didn't feel that there was a whole lot um, sure. for me to, to, to work towards. I mean, I was an embarrassment to my dad. You know, God love my mom. She was doing the best she could, but she was working obscene hours to try to keep the family afloat. My brother had gone off to college, and I was just kind of the the punching bag to my dad, and wow. and I was I was no good to anyone. So um, there were there were a few times that I actually I I did attempt. Um, I ended up going into the hospital, and by the grace of God, like I'm still yeah. I'm I'm yeah. I'm still here. Um, this is when you were a teenager? Yeah, this happened, I want to say over the age of 18, but before the age of yeah. 21. This yeah. was like that 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 time. Um, and then I specifically remember, that this is a, this is a big highlight of, of that period of my life. Um, I very specifically remember I had gone for a job interview at this company uh, in New Jersey, and it was literally my 18th birthday. And I remember seeing this person walk across, and it ended up being Travis. But I saw him, and there was something, and I'm like, I'm gonna marry this guy. Like I saw him, and it, it did. It hit me. I said, I am gonna marry this guy, and he was kind of a light. Um, that gave me something outside of my family yeah. to to cling yep. on to. Yep. Did you notice her as well? Or were you just like out of place and I did notice her and okay. this is constantly an argument, but I <laughs> had noticed her I had noticed yeah, yeah. her before at oh, college, oh, but she doesn't remember. Sure, sure. That. That's so my wife and I have a similar story where we met, like I remember the first time I met her. We drove home from college. It was uh, the week or a month before we went, and my mom brought me down to like, you know, pick my classes. And on the drive home, she's like, "Man, that girl was so pretty." And she's talking about Ray, who's now my wife. But then when I share that story with Ray, she's like, "No, well, that wasn't me." I'm like, "I can guarantee that was you." And then we met like six times, and she's like, "Remember that time we met?" And I was like, "No, like I'd already seen you like twelve times before we did that." So you know, it's a moment, right? Um, you, but you said you were 18. Yep. Okay. And you were applying for a job, but it was still during, were you going to school at the time? Uh, I was not. Okay. I had, um, it was right before, um, 
community college would have started. Okay. And I was, I, I did not do well my first semester in community college because I started dabbling with things a little bit more than sure. just sure. marijuana and um, did not do well. And yeah. somehow I ended up catching mono and I was able to withdraw so that semester didn't count. So that was kind of a, a blessing. Um, but then, yeah, then when I started in the spring of what would have been 2001, and, and we were still talking at that time, okay. yeah, like we were friends, but that's that was kind of a good spot where there was no more self-harm, no more... Yeah kind of messing with things and my focus really was on my academics and my future. Yeah. So when you saw him walk by and the world changed forever, did you know him at the time? I did it. Okay. I did not. I remember seeing him and just like physically I just thought that he was this beautiful person, but then after um after talking with him, I just it is this indescribable, I can't explain it. I knew I was going to end up with him. Mm. Like there was just something. And even when he had his girlfriend of so many years and then he was single and then I was dating someone else and it's like the times yeah. what, yeah. but there was, there was just this constant yeah. where I, I knew that he and I were destined to be together. It's, it, I can't explain it any other way. Yeah. So when did you guys officially meet? According, I mean, again, oh, hold on, hold on. Sorry, there's two different versions of this. It was the college thing that I alluded to was literally she had come to see her brother who happened to go to college with me, and she was there for less than five minutes. But it was a new person that I had sure. never seen before. Sure. And I'm like, who is that person? Oh, that's my younger sister. That was literally yeah. the extent of it. And me. you're like, I'm done. But we got to know each other more when she started working at the company that I okay. worked at. Okay, all right, um, and then we. Okay. Slowly but surely got to know more about each other. Sure. Um, Nicole, one of the things I would love for you to talk about a little bit more. So growing up in a house where your mom's working all the time, right? You said she's a nurse, so there's probably weird hours. Was that, you know, the, yeah. the, it's like the 12 hours all over the place. Um, with a father who is present but not a father. It seems like a lot of your teenage years was you trying to, like, find and fill voids. And figure out who I was. Yeah. 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 When you started to wrestle with suicide, wrestle with your own, taking your own life, what kind of pulled you out of that at that young age? Because one of the things that we've heard a lot on this podcast is a lot of people struggle with the 18 to 22, 25-ish range because you graduate high school and you're like, I do not know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, there's a lot of like... I don't want to be like that. You know, oftentimes we look at our parents and say, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like them. But as a as an 18 to 21 year old, as you were wrestling with that, what, what are some of the things that kind of pulled you out of that place? Like, was it going to school and going, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to find purpose for myself. Was it Travis? What would you say was kind of the thing that pulled you out of that? Because faith wasn't a part of your life at the time. So, so faith in the traditional sense, no, it was not part of it, but I, I mean, I've always believed that there was a God. Mm. Like that that is the truth that I have carried my whole life. And when things got really bad, like I would I would kind of cry out, you know, like please God help me. Yeah. But it, it started and ended there. There was really no sure. follow through. Sure. So I would say a combination between just that sheer desperation of I don't like I don't know what to do, mm. but I know that this isn't working. Mm. So it was it was that, and then it was 
kind of having somebody that was interested in getting to know me and what mattered to me and and spending time with me that sure. that is what helped me kind of pull back from that ledge and realize that there was potentially a different path sure. that I could go down. Yeah, that's really good. So Travis, um, you know, we, we know how you guys met, but take us back. Where'd you grow up? What was your family like, childhood like, and um, faith in that, that part of your childhood? I grew up in Maryland. Um, my parents had me when they were very young. My mother turned 16 two weeks before wow. the day I was born and my dad was 19 at the point. Um, my dad had been brought up going to traditional old school Catholic schools, you know, where the nuns would wrap you on the wrist and so on and so forth. And he always, t he was like, you know, I'm not gonna force my kids to grow up in that world, which at that time was appreciated, and it still is, but at the same time, it, it led to us to not be involved in the church or with faith or anything else. My dad could, quote scripture for hours on end, but it was something we were never exposed to as kids. Because my parents were so young, I had two younger brothers that were born four years after me. Our life, my parents worked a lot. Neither one of them graduated high school, so they had to literally blood, sweat, and tears for everything we had. But I had a relatively good childhood. I mean, looking back, it was busy, it was hectic, but it was, it was fun. The difference was my parents were not overbearing. I remember growing up, we had two rules. Don't, come, don't call me from jail and don't <laughs> come home saying you're going to be a father. Anything else okay. we can work on. Okay. So like we were allowed to go out, you know, my friends and I, we could go out and drink on the weekend. And I'd call my dad and say, hey, can you come pick me up? I can't wow. drive home. And he was good with that. Um, nobody had graduated high school. Nobody had gone to college. And I was like, I want to do better for myself. Yeah. So I ended up going to New Jersey for college. Nicole circumvented the story somewhat, but her older brother ended up becoming my best friend at that okay. point in time. Um, we worked at a company together, which is what led her to come to the company. She is right. I had been in a long-term college relationship, as odd as that sounds. And that's where the rest of my life was going to be. We had been together for so long, there was no changing that. Wow. When our relationship ended, I was stuck in the position where... I am attracted to Nicole, but she is also my best friend's uh -huh. younger sister. Yeah, there's some rules there. <laughs> and I had just gotten out of a long-term relationship. Yeah. So I don't yeah. want her to be a rebound where I'm going to ruin your friendship, hurt her, what have you. Yeah. So like she said, we were always back and forth. She's in a relationship. I'm in a relationship. You know, there was something there, but nothing that we could really act on. Neither one of us was willing to push the envelope. Hmm. Four years after I finished college, so eight years all said and done, I got to the point where I was like, I need to grow up and move on with my life. I'm not ready to settle down in New Jersey. So I opted to move back to Maryland. And it was a solo move back. Within a month, somebody named Nicole said, oh, guess where I get to go to grad school? I get to go to grad school at Hood. Hood's in Frederick. Where do you live, Frederick? It was undergraduate, thank you. Undergraduate, sorry. So Nicole moved to Maryland, but we, we talked at that point. And we're like, look, clearly there's an interest, there's an attraction, but we, we have to be mindful. We can't just jump into yeah. this. So she lived on her own for a year, and I lived on my own for a year. We dated. And at the end, we weren't even to the end of that year. And we're like, we're just, we're wasting time at this point. Like, this is clearly going to happen. I talked to her brother and said, look, I'm, 
you're still my friend, but yeah. there's something more here. I don't know why yeah. it's here. I don't know if you brought it here, but it's here. <laughs> Blame him. That's good. That's well, it was. It was more so like yeah. I don't want you to feel a certain type of way because we were very good yeah. friends for such a long period of yeah. time. Yeah. But even at that point, I knew that she is going to be more important to me than you are wow. at some point in the near future. Yeah. And I need you to be okay and understand where this is coming from. Fortunately, yeah. he had known me long enough. He knew I wasn't, you know, that type of guy, quote yeah. unquote. And he's like, he he was okay with it. Yeah. And then you know. That was years and years and years yeah, ago. Yeah. Um, what What drove you to New Jersey from Maryland? When my mother listens to this, I will apologize. I drew circles. I have to be so far away that my parents yep. will not yep. randomly show up. Yep. But 100%. I'm close enough that if there is a major emergency, yep. I can come home. Yep. Um, Monmouth was a growing school at that point. Yep. It was on the beach. It seemed like fun. It was close enough to New York City where it's at that point in my life in high school, I figured I'm going to go to work in New York City. I'm sure. going to make all the money I can make. And they were willing to pay because, again, my parents could not afford to send me to college sure. out of pocket. Yeah. Dude, that's so funny because that is exactly why I went six hours away from Northern Virginia was I wanted to be close enough to go home on the weekend if I needed to, but far enough away they couldn't surprise me, um, which I don't think is a bad idea. What's crazy about that, though, that was your way to, to determine what college you were going to go to. And then while you were there, you met Nicole, mm-hmm. which is like so arbitrary of picking a college. Like, whatever. As long as it's far enough away, there's a beach, there's New York City. Um, and I'm not a big fan of like people who think God's like this like grand chess master that moves these pieces for us, right? We make our own decisions. Sometimes we don't know why we're making the decisions we're making. I do think God can influence those things, but he's not forcing you to do those things. But even in a decision where you're like, yeah, just do circles and end up someplace, that's where you end up meeting Nicole. Did you grow up in Frederick, Travis? I grew up in Okay, okay. Because at that time, like you choosing to come to Frederick would have been a little bit, it's not what it is today. And I I try to make sure people are like moving up here like crazy. They're like, oh, Frederick's such a great city. And you're like, 2000s Frederick was not a great city. Like the downtown was okay. Uh, it was very different than what it is today. So they need to get like the hipster spot out of their mind. And, and it was a lot of farms and a, not a lot of homes and all that. So it's not like you guys came here because it's like, oh, this is a city that's blowing up and there's so many opportunities. It's where you grew up and you just happened to get into school there. Mm-hmm. Coincidence. How many schools did you apply to? Oh, I applied to three in Maryland and I got into all three, but... Um... Yeah, I decided Hood because it was in Frederick. Okay, okay. So, all right, we're putting these pieces together. Um, all right, so you guys both end up in Frederick. You start living together. How old were you guys at the time? I think I was like 23-ish. I'm say I was 26 or 27, okay. depending on yeah. when my birthday was. Okay. So from there, when did you guys get married? So we moved in in 2006, I think. We moved in in 2006. We got married in 2008. Okay. Um, I went to grad school, and I graduated in 2009. Okay. So kind of a a couple of big events back to back to back. Which is important because, you know, when you think about your family of origin and kind of like your family history, a lot of those big events – uh, we kind of overlook them, specifically graduating, job changes, moves, all that. Um, they're hard. And when you have them back to back to back, 
you feel the weight of those things and and they're good things but that's still like heavy life stuff so you graduated um with a degree in uh, social work social work okay um so what was the beginning few years of marriage like so we got married in 2008. We got pregnant with Braden the beginning of 2009. So we didn't oh, okay. have, uh, but we had, we had like uh, again the eight years that we were friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we had, and, and then the time together. So even though it wasn't a lot of married time together before we had kids, I feel like we had a really, really good foundation and basis sure. of a friendship and a respect for one another um, before we really got pregnant and, and started building on that family. I'm just saying, for all intents and purposes, we were married prior to being married. It was just sure we sure, want to get her sure. schooling as close to being done as possible. Yep. But then, and it wasn't a religious thing that drove us. But we were also like, we we want to get married before we start our family. Sure, that was just something sure. we both wanted to do. Yeah, and that's what. But even like the, the the marriage, clearly not to say that it's not important. But it didn't change a lot for us in the sure. way we were living or anything sure. else. It was like, okay, this box is now checked off. Now we can start discussing, you know, having a kid that was not the beginning of 2009. I don't know where that came from. I got pregnant in like November, December of 2009. Because How was... is November, December, the beginning of 2009? <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Whatever. But Listen, so there was a having little kids, time frame. Anymore. You're right. You're right. They asked birthdays and you like no, get prescriptions. Like, you're like, we, we, I don't know. We had a great honeymoon. Yeah. We had fun. You know, we, we got back. She obviously was finishing up grad school. And then we opted to, and again, it was planned. We were like, we we're going to try and start getting pregnant. Yeah. And then Braden came August of 2010. So for you guys both, you've alluded to some of the stuff in your past and in, in your teenage years and your college years when it comes to like partying, when it comes to just trying to figure out who you are. At that point, when you guys have Braden, are you still wrestling with that? Are you still wrestling with the way you see yourself, are you still wrestling with kind of valuing yourself in that way? Or do you feel like for both of you guys, like for everything that you've been through, you're like, we're in a good spot. Like you've healed from some of the, the childhood stuff that you've kind of worked through it. Or do you feel like it was still lingering at the bottom? You just happen to be in a healthier relationship and in a better place and having kids. So like it's there, but you're not really working on it. Or do you guys feel like at that point you're like, no, we've dealt with all that crap. We're ready to move forward. I definitely had not dealt with the stuff with my dad like that. I just kind of buried, but I felt very secure in my marriage. I felt very secure as a mom. I, I did. I felt like I had kind of found my place. Um, I had kind of allowed myself to, to almost become in this role of being cared for like sure. Trav did all the finances Trav did all the like bills like he he managed that he ran the household so I was I was kind of just able to go to work yeah. and be a mom and we had all of these things and life was just great like I, I was not really aware of a whole lot that was going on and and I I had enjoyed it at the moment but um I would later find out that was not a good place for me to have been in. Yeah. For both of you guys, the bottom falls out pretty soon. So faith at this point, right? Is it still, there's belief in God, but 
that's where it ends or because things are going well, do you even like wrestle with that anymore? Because you mentioned earlier that when there was these low moments and you knew something wasn't right, you like, you cry out to God and you're like, God, you know, are you there? God, can you do something now that things are better? Like, does that even exist anymore? No. Okay. No. I mean, yeah. Faith was, faith was not really a part of our life. Like we joked for the longest time, but like, we'll never be the church going people. (laughs) Like that was just, that was just not going to be us. Um, and I'd say, I mean, things were, things were good. Like we had a new baby. We were still living in the apartment. We were on the hunt, I guess, for a house at that point. And there were, there were a lot of stresses with trying to get a house to trying to get financing. Um, I mean, that was that was kind of challenging, but I, I still felt very well supported by my husband. He was a great husband, great father, like he was he was caring for the family. So I was I was good um, up until when we started trying to conceive Grayson and and that's and that's where things got yeah. kind of a little trying. I don't know if you want to. We still went out occasionally, you know, we'd go out with friends to the bars and my family history, there were numerous alcoholics, so I was never the type that wanted to drink. But I still had smoked weed plenty of times as I was growing up, but I was also, I had a lot of social anxiety and was not like, I was the guy who would sooner stay home than go out and hang out with friends or what have you. And at some point in my life, I was introduced to opiates and because it was a prescription and it came from a doctor, it, it didn't cross my mind as at that point in time, being as addictive as you know crack or things like sure, that, where it's sure. like, you know, this can ruin your life. Unfortunately, as time progressed, it slowly but surely got worse and worse. But like Nicole said, I was responsible for making sure my family was taken care of. And we were trying to have Braden. She was pregnant with Braden. You know, there were a lot of extra stressors, and I just noticed my usage kept going up and up and up. But as any addict will do, I would lie to myself and say, like, I can't drop this on her now. She's pregnant with our first child. I can't stress her out. Let's wait until he gets here. Let me see if I can deal with this. Then, of course, Brayden comes. It was the greatest day ever at that point in our life. And I'm like, well, I can't drop this on her now because yeah. we have a new yep. kid. Yep. Now she's... And like, they're all excuses that I will fully admit that today, but back then, like in my mind, whether I was justifying or trying to make an excuse, I don't know. And anybody knows when you have your first kid, finances get completely out of whack. And unfortunately for me, I worked in finance and worked with money, so I had the availability to like move money around that I thought I was hiding from people so that I could make sure my family was financially taken care of, but still have funds for my illicit drug habit. And this went on, you know, nothing overly major for the first year or two after Brayden was born. Um, And then obviously, like she said, we started to try and get pregnant for Grayson, and that's when she started to see little signs and little things. And she would question me, but I, I feel there was a part of her that didn't want to know. Yeah, She did, but she didn't. And it's like, I'm like, that couldn't have been that good of a lie. Like, how would she? Okay. But it literally was a slow, gradual build up. And then there was one day where I was just like, I should be dead right now. Like, I'm literally doing enough drugs on a daily basis that I should be dead and in a hole. 
but I could not function without it. Like, I'm like, my life will end, my family will end. And there was one day where I literally got to a point and I was like, I have to tell her, but if I tell her, she's going to leave. And at this point, she was pregnant with Grayson. She's going to leave. She's going to take my unborn son and my current son. And I'm going to be all alone or I just go until like I give up and like my body just says I can't do it anymore. And I wrestled with it and I wrestled with it and I did. I don't want to say I had faith, but I literally was like, what am I supposed to do? Like asking God, like, how do I deal with this? And I basically threw up my hands and was like, I'm going to die in the next year. And when I die, I don't have to deal with the problem and I don't have to deal with the heartache, so on and so forth. Fortunately for me... She was smart enough, and she caught me. I don't want to say enough because it makes it sound like it happened a lot, and she let me keep sliding, which is not the case. There was once or twice where she would catch me, and then one day she caught me, and she just said, that's it, I'm done. Yeah. Like, you need to go, you need to leave. She literally called my father and my mother and said, come get him, I'm done. And my father, being old school and not understanding addiction like we do today, was basically like, Go to your just, room from when you yeah, were a kid, yeah. and you're not leaving the house. Like yep. you're just, you're gonna sweat it out. Those yep. were his exact words, and it was probably the worst week and a half, two weeks of my life, and literally felt like I was going to die. Yeah, but I did get over the the hump, so to speak. And even until today, like my parents, my wife, like they saved my life because had that not occurred. Following that, I went to like addiction specialist doctors and talked to them and went to NA meetings and got put on prescriptions to manage everything. And even doctors would be like, wait, you were doing how much a day? Yeah. How much? And it literally at the worst point, I was spending 10 grand a day. Wow. I mean, it was, it was insanity. Wow. But even doctors would be like, you can't, there's no way. And I'm like, trust me when I tell you, like it was a two year stretch where yes, it, it was that bad. Wow. Now I look back and understanding my faith better, there had to have been a reason sure. that I didn't die. Like I didn't, she didn't get a call one night saying, and hey, we need you to come, you know, identify your husband's body. Yeah. Like it, it's a miracle. At that point, her and I talked. It, it was a lot for us to get through it. You know, her trust in me was ruined. But I also think that she looked at the prior times and realized, like, I did love her. I did love her children. Yeah. I was a good person, even though I made a horrible decision or decisions. But we, we got to the point where we wanted to work through it. But in being completely honest, I said, look, there's another shoe in this whole equation all of this money that I spent to get to this point, like if somebody ever catches on to it, they could come back saying, you know, where did this money get disappeared to and where did this money come from? And for the next two years of her life, it, it seemed like it was getting better. And to this day, I joke about it and I jinx myself. But there was one day where she was sitting on the couch with the boys watching some cartoon and I leaned over the back of the couch For the first time in God knows how long, I I was completely clean and happy and life was good. And I'm like, I like this. I was working a job I enjoyed. I'm like, this is what life's supposed to be. The next morning at six o'clock in the morning, we get woken up to a God awful bang in our door. I go downstairs and there's probably 20 FBI agents with guns, people in our backyard. They rush in the house. 
she starts to panic she's having a breakdown and I'm thinking are you serious like I've gone this long and this far and I've fixed all of these underlying yeah. issues yeah and now this wants to come to a head and literally went through my mind that I had just said to myself like this is what my life's supposed to be like yeah yeah they came in they arrested me that day ended up being charged with wire fraud money laundering they ransacked my house they wouldn't let my wife you know deal with any of my children Grayson was still in a crib at this point they wouldn't let her take him out of the crib I'm in shock about what's going on. I'm concerned for the well-being of my wife and my kids, and they just throw me in a car and they drive me down to Greenbelt. Thankfully, as I'm driving, they at least say, look, you're gonna go back home today. Like, we just have to, you know, check the boxes. You'll go home. The next year of her life at that point was spent navigating the judicial system, saying like, what's gonna happen? You know, am I going to go to prison? Am I not gonna go to prison? How long do I go to prison? Like, this is not a world we've ever been exposed to. We have no idea what's going on. But we also have very little money because we're two working parents with two young kids. So it's, I can't go hire a million-dollar lawyer. So I ended up working with public defender, trying to keep her in the loop the whole time. She's still wrapping her head around everything that's transpired. And I'm simply trying to say, like, how do I deal with the situation that I'm currently being dealt with? Yeah. Um, back and forth for about a year until I go to trial and at trial which was probably one of the worst days of my life the judge basically says like I'm gonna sentence you to three years in prison I'm going to be nice and I'm gonna give you two months before you have to report so you can go get all your affairs in order and I'm thinking how do you take five years worth of your life together and condense it to two months and like she said I had done most everything. She didn't know how to log into a bank account. Yeah. She wasn't sure where bills had to go. Yeah. You know, and now she's got this stress. I'm stressed. We're trying to stay strong for the boys because they're too young to really understand, but they know when mom and dad are yep. stressing. Absolutely. Even though we talked about it numerous times and we're like, look, we're, we're going to try. Like, we need to make this work. We want to make this work. But we both knew at the end of the day, like, we can't promise each other anything. Yeah. Like, this is potentially three years where we, we don't know what's going to happen. It, it was basically eight years ago where she drove me to Western Maryland and hugging a kiss. And oddly enough, I had to take my contacts out because you can't take contacts. I threw my contacts in the trash. I gave her a hug and a kiss. And she doesn't know this, but... As she drove away, the guy who was taking me in was like, you know you're not going to see her again, right? And I was wow. like, huh? And he's like, they never come back. He's like, that's it. Wow. And it destroyed me that day. Like, I was like, he does this for a living. And he said, she's not, like, that's it. It's yeah. over. And, like, at that point, it was the same thing. Like, I didn't want to commit suicide, but I'm like, why Why am I even going to bother sure. fighting at this point? Sure. I would say especially after what you had already fought through with addiction, right? One of the things you, you said earlier was, you should have died, you didn't, and it's like, man, like, maybe maybe God has something for me. And what sucks about life is what happened a few years later, but ultimately next is prison. I want to talk a little bit about that, uh, about addiction and recovery. Before we get to that, though, Nicole, like, take us back a little bit. So when you find out that Travis is struggling with addiction, why stay? Because you're a resilient person already. 
based on what you went through in your childhood, you're capable. What is it that made you realize like, I want to fight with him? Because the thing about addiction, whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, like gambling, whatever it is, when it comes to light, which it always, it always does, it's impossible for it not to. Typically couples are the, the couple who isn't the addict is like, I'm out because they realize they have to work just as hard. And, and I see this with marriages all the time. And it's one of the things that like kills me the most about marriages that fall apart is when like I sit down with couples and something's come out, whether it's a fair, you know, money, like whatever it may be. Part of the conversation I have with them is, Hey, they're at rock bottom right now because their addiction was found out. Like that's the worst case scenario because they're living these dual lives and now they're one life. And now they've realized I've screwed all these things up. The path to recovery and the path to like a healed marriage though, is harder on the spouse that didn't do anything. And what sucks, and it's happened at Collective, where you know I sit down and say, they obviously know what they need to work on because it's right in front of them. But also that means you have to work. Mm-hmm. And it's the spouse that didn't do anything wrong that's like, I don't want to work on this. I didn't cause this problem. And they're the ones who really do decide whether or not this marriage stays together. So for you personally, especially in social work, you, you know how hard the road to healing is. Why did you stay? Because I wanted him, you know, like I, I wanted him. I wanted our family. I wanted this life. Um, after, and I didn't, I didn't share this piece um, earlier, but like there was a time during, during my depression, during those suicide attempts where my I very clearly remember my dad taking a razor and throwing it at me and telling me that the world would be better off without me. So coming from from that, not feeling worthy, not feeling you know deserving of things, um, to now be with this person that loved me and and honored me and like we were creating this, I my personality is if you tell me that I'm I can't do it. I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it better than you thought as a big kind of F you. Sure. Like that is, sure. th- that is what's gotten me through so much of my yeah. life is that drive. Like I, I'm, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove to you that I can do this. So, um, no, like it was, it was, you're not going to do this to me yeah. and my life and my family. Sure. Like you're, sure. you're not going to sure. do it. I know you are better than this and this is not my story and this is not how it's going to end. So we're gonna, I mean, he didn't, he didn't tell you. I, I was like a straight up old school Sicilian grandma. Like I grabbed a broom and I smacked him. I was smacking him because <laughs> I was so heated. Not that I condone uh, physical yeah, violence, yeah, but yeah. like it was just that raw emotion yep. and response. Yep. Um, and then I did, I called his mom. I said like, we're done. Like you, you've got to get him. And then when he came out, um, and I feel I feel really good telling this story now based on on what um, the the series that we're currently in, yeah. um, because I carried so much shame for something that wasn't even my yeah. fault. Yeah. Like nobody knew that I was taking him to NA. Nobody knew yeah. that I was taking him to yeah. like outpatient. Nobody knew I hid all of this and I went to work and I went to work every day and I smiled and I did my job and I picked up extra shifts and I just kept going because I wasn't going to let this define us or define me like this this was not going to be a reflection um I was so prideful 
that I was uh, ashamed to show that this was happening to us. So, I mean, that that was all hidden. Like, nobody knew that. Yeah. Um, and again, like we we trucked through. He did he did his recovery. He did treatment. I mean, there was a lot of communication of where are you, what's going yep. on, because my trust had been absolutely destroyed. But we were able to get through. And, and I need to say, um, I was like five months pregnant with Grayson when, when the whole substance use thing kind of came to light. So we got through his delivery in, in early spring, um, and things were good. Like he had a job. Again, we were working on that communication. We were working on slowly rebuilding our trust. We were committed to the marriage. We were yeah. committed to our family. Yeah. Like we both knew that this was something that we desired. And then uh, again, shortly, shortly after um, Grayson's first birthday, we did. We got that knock on the door, and yeah. again, I mean, it was a punch in the gut. Uh, the breath just got knocked out of me. So yep. we did the one thing, and then it's this again. It's like, all right, here we go. Like here, here we go again. And my intent was to keep kind of hiding it sure like I I didn't I I I just I didn't want people to know like I whether it's shame embarrassment like I just I'm like we're gonna get through this we're gonna do it I ended up um we had to bring his um handgun to the police station because he he wasn't allowed to have it so I literally remember sitting in the court street parking lot and a voicemail popped up on my phone (laughs) And I listened to it, and it was my director at work, who I adore. I love this woman. But she said, Nicole, I just read about Travis. And I... You know, I am so sorry. And she she said this whole thing. And I could, like, if you could get another punch in the gut, I yeah. just... And then I Googled, and I saw it, and, like, it was there. Like I had tried for so long to kind of protect and to hold yeah. our family together, and and it was out there for the world to see. And yeah, I just I had it was rough. Yeah, and and one of the things that when other people share your story, and I don't want people listening to the podcast to understand the fact that you guys are here. It's a lot. Like it's vulnerable, but it's also the fact that other people told the narrative before you got the chance to tell the narrative. And that sucks. It sucks when other people decide to share your story from their perspective, their angle, whatever it may be. um, It kind of robs you of the ability to know what that story is. And that happened to you guys, right? Like as you're still processing, as you're still working through it, as you're still battling shame, as you're still battling public opinion, it has become public. It's, It's people, someone decided, this isn't their business. This is everybody's business, right? And with that comes a court of public opinion, um, which isn't great. Um, I know that that created tension, Nicole, for you. Um, your director was wonderful. Not everybody was wonderful about that. Um, people made some assumptions that are not okay, which makes you guys being here even even more important. And so I do want the people listening to to really put two and two together of like, their life was made public, even though they didn't ask for it to be, but now they're choosing to bring these things to you guys listening to share like, hey, let me tell you the whole story. Because I've read the article, right? We talked, we, we sat down and talked ahead of time and I read it. It doesn't include the stuff that happens before, you know? And, and it doesn't explain 
Travis, that you're struggling with addiction. And it doesn't explain that, you know, it doesn't talk about your childhood. It doesn't, it doesn't talk about those things. It just says, here's what happened, and this is the end of the story. And that's not the whole story. But again, like, here you are in this scenario where you've gotten through the, the addiction part. Travis is in recovery. There's so much shame around that community. Travis, you mentioned it earlier. Like, I don't understand why we look at people who are struggling with addiction uh, like they're the worst human beings on the planet because – one, addiction is genetic. Um, you know, when you have an addicted parent, you are going to receive a lot of the same desires. Now, you know, you might choose, it's not alcohol, but that doesn't mean it's not going to be drugs, food, work, right? Like all these other things. Um, so more people struggle with addiction than what they lead on. Two, there is a humility that comes with acknowledging that you struggle with drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, because most people, and, and I'll even call out many of you listening to the podcast, you probably struggle with addiction in some way, but you are just less willing to acknowledge it. And um, I think about that. My dad's an alcoholic, right? And so, and both my parents smoke, their, their parents smoke a lot of stuff. Never smoked anything in my life as, as a way of going, nope, I'm not gonna do what they do. Like I will drink. Um, my therapist has made it very clear that we shouldn't have like a lot of alcohol in the house because they're like, you know where this is gonna end up. But I've, I've shared this at Collective before. Like, my thing is when I get stressed out, I don't turn to alcohol. I turn to food. I eat sheets all the time, right? Because that is the way I cope. And, like, that is, like, a form of addiction. And it's something that I have to be honest with and really battle. Um, but there are a lot of opinions. And so there's a lot of opinions surrounded by addiction and recovery. There's a lot of opinions that uh, with, you know, the you getting arrested and, you know, everything that happened, which was made public by somebody else. So, Nicole, again... Here you are, got through the hard thing, what you thought was the hard thing, and here's this harder thing. So going into the time when Travis was in jail, why were you still around? Why weren't you leaving at that point? So leading into his incarceration, what helped me was, like, I know I know who he is beyond yeah. these actions. What, what he did doesn't define who he is. It was, it was a decision. A horrific decision, but but that isn't who he is. He is so much more than his actions, and and I had to keep reminding myself of that um, because I know who he I know who he is. Yeah, you know, and and that is still the person that my heart desires. Like that is still the person that that I want to be with. So you know, you have the two months. Got to get your affairs in order. Right. What was that like for you? Um, well, I so I hadn't really been managing the finances still. Like I, yeah. I kind of had an idea, but it was I think like the week before he was due to go away, and I learned we were two months behind in our mortgage. Sure. Um, and I guess he, he had tried to like get bills paid, and like one of my credit cards I think was up to seven grand, and there was just this stuff where. It's, it's not only am I going to be expected to do all of these things and to care for our two children, but I, I need to wrap my head around our financial picture and kind of make sure that I don't, I don't drown or collapse in this. Yeah. So there were a lot of tears. There were a lot of emotions. There was a lot of frustration on my part because it's like every time I think I'm, I'm getting the whole story, it's like another little thing comes out sure. and it's... There were a lot of opinions of people of like, why are you staying? Yep. 
Like, why, why are you doing this? You know, you know, he's going to do it again. You, you're a fool. Why, why are you doing this? I had, I had more people than I care to admit that absolutely and completely turned their backs, not only on us, but on me. It was a really lonely time. And again, I'm trying to be a support to him. I'm trying trying to stay positive and, you know, be a good mom and, and not let the kids recognize that my, my world. Have you seen the meme where it's like the little dog with the hat and the yeah. fire yeah. around yeah. and you're just like, this yeah. is fine. Is time, yeah. <laughs> like this is, it, it yeah. was, it was not fine, but there was a smile and we're yeah. like trucking through and I had to start on, I had to start on an antidepressant yeah. and I had to start on an anti-anxiety just yeah. to be able to push through yeah. the days because... Um, there were times where I, if you offered me to just kind of lay in bed and knock it out, like that's, that's what I was going to do. Yeah. I mean, on top of that, like you had kids, you know, and like we talk more about postpartum now than we've ever talked about in our culture. We still don't talk about it enough, but like when you were having kids, people weren't talking about it. Right. So you've got kids on top of everything else that's going on. Um, so what was it like Travis shared with us, you know, the, the drive, up to Cumberland, he watches you drive away. He's told straight up, like, she's never coming back. What was that drive like for you? And specifically, what was that drive home like for you? I just spent a lot of time reflecting on, like, this is it. Like, this is the... the this is going to be the new normal. I very specifically, I didn't focus so much on the drive, but I, I remember, I remember that night... I was in Grayson's room, which is now Beckham's room, but I remember being in Grayson's room and I remember rocking him to sleep and saying, this is it. Huh. Like this is, this is gonna be it. Um, and we're gonna be okay. We have to be okay. Yeah, yeah that was, um, that was hard. Yeah. But I, I mean, we did, we tried our best to prepare the kids going into it. We explained as much as you can to yep. kids, but we yep. explained, you know, daddy did something bad. And, you know, when you do something bad, sometimes you get in trouble. Yeah. And he's going to go to camp um, because it was considered a yeah. camp, like it was a, a sure. federal camp. Sure. It was the lowest level, but daddy's going to go to camp. And, you know, we're going to go up every weekend to yeah. visit, but, but like daddy's not going to be here. Yeah. And for those of you listening, you kind of get to this point in the story and you're like, whew, man, they got through both of those things. But really it's, it's jail. That is when it got really, really hard, you know? And so what I want to do is I'm going to pause right here and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about, okay, what comes next? And, um, what is it like when Travis is in jail? What is jail like? Um, Nicole, for you, what is it like raising two kids and, and still digging out of the hole that existed, right? It's not like, I think oftentimes people think jail is like, okay, it's just a punishment for what happened and that's the consequence. And you're like, no, the consequences are everywhere. There's a consequence on the marriage. There's a consequence on your finances. Um, there's a consequence on, on, on everything. And so we're going to dig into that. And so uh, we will make this another uh, cliffhanger episode. Um, so I encourage you guys who are listening, come back next week, listen to the second part, because one of the cool things is, and obviously you know this, they're sitting together. And so I'm not going to give it away, but ultimately what we need to hear is how you guys got through the next season and why you're still sitting here. Because a lot of people who are going through these struggles in their life, whether it's personal struggles and looking at their own life going, I don't want to live anymore, or it's marriage struggles going, I don't want to be in a marriage anymore, or just life struggles going, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. You guys are still here. 
and you're sitting together. And uh, I'm really excited for people to hear what comes next and, and why you're doing that. And so uh, follow up with us next week on Thursday. Listen to part two of Travis and Nicole's story.